want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Book of Acts chapter 11. This is part two of a passage that we looked at last Sunday of how God broke down cultural racial barriers as he began the movement we call the church. And it is a movement. It is not a place. Not even just a group of people, it is that, but it is a movement of God calling all people to his kingdom that will be finally realized in the book of Revelation, prophesied when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom. But we see the beginning of this in Genesis. Uh, And I'll go there briefly as we look at this uh, Acts chapter 11 passage. And and Acts chapter 10 is the, the story of Cornelius, the uh, Roman centurion, the Italian, uh, that is a devout man, though apart from Christ. And we looked and saw how devout people, religious people, sincere people, still must be converted by the Holy Spirit. It is not enough for you to be good. It must be that the Spirit of God comes. But there was this big barrier because they were Gentiles and, and therefore no longer are not included in the Jewish uh, faith. And so we saw how God worked through Peter, through a vision. And so Peter realized that God was declaring all people uh, susceptible for the kingdom. Uh, all people needed to hear the gospel of Jesus and thus could be clean in Jesus. And, and so uh, God worked. And, and so in chapter 11 is the recounting of that. Uh, Peter gets criticized uh, big time by the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, and so I think it's fascinating as we read this that there are 66 verses for the conversion story of Cornelius, how the gospel moved uh, to the Gentiles. Whereas there were only 31 verses to talk about Saul's conversion and only 13 verses to describe the Pentecost. Uh, Luke is writing uh, in the style of the rhetoric there that if you wanted to say something really important, you would repeat it. And so... It's repeated in chapter 10 and now in chapter 11, double passages, double chapters to talk about this one story, how the gospel moved from Jews to Gentiles. It's not the first time it's left the the Jews. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch already through the story of Philip has already received the gospel. He's well on his way down to down to Ethiopia, and the, uh, the Africans are receiving it before the Italians, before uh, the Western world. Uh, and so uh, we want to look at this because it changes everything. It changed everything for the Jews. It still changes us today because we are as ethnocentric. Are you know that you've heard that term? Uh, where we think our culture is the culture, the best culture. We, uh, as a human have this tendency to go down the same roads that the Jews went down. And so we need to hear this twice. (laughs) All right, we need to hear it in chapter 10, and we need to hear it in chapter 11. But the the point of this is God's movement. Um, Every once in a while, there'll be things that happen that changes how you view things. Uh, Most of you have already realized the pastor looks a little bit different to get a haircut. What's going on? Uh, Okay, I don't have my glasses on, all right? So my glasses disintegrated this past week after a few years. Uh, They finally just kicked the bucket, and, you know, some of you saw me with one one side on there. Um, And so I've got contacts in today. I I typically don't go that way because I think it's just totally unnatural to stick your finger in your eye. Uh, (laughs) 
But I had these uh, sunglasses on that had a little bit of different color to it. And I'm thinking, this is kind of fun. I, everything looks different. The leaves look a little different. The, the road looks a little different. It's got these polarized looks to it. I was like, I want to look at everything now with these lens because it's just like so different. Well, what we're going to find here is that God does a movement for Peter and for the Jews, for them to look at everything so extremely different. Everything previously was looked through uh, with the lens of God has chosen the Jews, and if you want to be right with God, you must be a Jew. And everything was interpreted through those lens. Now, because of Acts 10, Peter is realizing that's not at all how it works. It all works through the lens of Jesus Christ. And if, uh, if you're in Christ, everything is viewed totally different. In fact, Paul explains this later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He wrote this. He says, the love of Christ compels us because we thus judge that if Jesus Christ died for all, then everyone died. And so we no longer judge anyone according to the flesh. Once we judge Jesus by the flesh, we saw him as a Jew, but no more. And this is the passage of 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That has so much implication with the church and race. What Scripture is saying is that we are identified no longer by the flesh. We are no longer viewing people. They're white, they're African, they're African-American, they're Hispanic, they're Salvadorian. I mean, we've got all kinds of lenses of which we judge people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says very boldly, there's a whole new race, and it's Christ. That is the identifying mark for all of humanity. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. Some people are still asked from time to time, what do you think about interracial marriages? And I've seen in the Old Testament. God forbid that. You know what God was forbidding? God was forbidding people to marry outside of the faith. And so most of these that were outside the Canaanites were outside of, Christ, of the gospel, outside of God. God has always been against that. But not defined by your flesh. But he says now the race is either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. That's it. And so we're going to see, and Peter's going to get a first-hand visual of what he's talking about. And he's going to do it in the face of criticism. I'm going, to share, I'm going to tell you that if we say that Christ is our main identifying thing and not another cultural uh, attachment to it, there will be uh, a place for criticism that happens right here. And so let's look at this. Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to look at really uh, the first uh, 19 or 18 verses of this passage. And so let's stand as we read this together, uh, what God's word is here. Now the apostles and the brothers who were without Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and said, and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You may be seated. Charles Morrison has said, The Christian church is the only society in the world in which membership is based upon the qualification that the candidate shall be unworthy of membership. That's part of the gospel, is if you think you're worthy for God, you don't get in. You are not part of the gospel. Jesus said the the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. The number one criteria is you've got to understand you are bankrupt in spirit, poor in spirit. And so the church is the collection of people who are unworthy, And God has extended to them a mercy and grace. Therefore, we cannot put up a barrier and say, you can't come in. Because God, through his grace, has overcome all the barriers. Now, as we read this, uh, you need to understand that this this question, that the the circumcised, which was a way of saying the Jewish Believers, the, those who followed the Old Testament law, they were circumcised, and all of what that entailed of following the law. Uh, notice what their point of criticism is, is verse 3. Peter, you, you mean to tell me you, you ate with these guys? You went into the house and you sat down and ate with them? Now that doesn't strike us, perhaps, but for them to sit down and eat with them was to say that they were embracing and having fellowship with them, but even so, uh, what was the point of, of opposition was the food. The food, according to the Bible, according to the Old Testament, was to be ceremonially clean. There was some food that they eat and some food they do not eat. And so if you were to sit into a Gentile's house, you had to be violating this ritual, this eating law that separated you uh, from all other people. And so the point that they're really asking wasn't just that they were eating with these circumcised or these Gentiles, but they, 
Peter, you of all people, you are the leader. You're one of the leaders of the church, and you are eating food that God has said that you should not eat. And so it was an issue not just of racism, but it was an issue of holiness. All right? Uh, For 1,400 years, they had always understood you don't eat pig. This is part of the list that God had said. This, this separates you from all the others. And you're to be separate. Be holy as I am holy. And remove yourself. And so this is all, if you can imagine, uh, perhaps a, a vision of which God says uh, and lowers down a, a, a cloak and says, uh, look at all these bottles of Jack Daniels. <laughs> all right. And what's that? joint looking thing over there <laughs> just if you can get that same picture you can kind of get the revulsion of here me as a baptist pastor i don't drink jack daniels you know i don't do i don't go that way god i don't do that if i do that i've always been a person who's never been drunk i don't drink these things and so you can sense some of the uh tension that they were feeling can you not some of you are even comfortable that i just said that well, that's, that's the idea that Peter and the Jerusalem church was dealing with at this point. It's this sense of, Peter, you've really messed up. And let's call you in and let's, you've got to explain yourself. All right, so that's where they're at. And Peter is explaining himself. And so, uh, verse 4, Peter just starts recounting the order of events. Let me tell you from the order. This is how it happened. I'm, I was like you. But let me tell you what happened to me. One of the things I preach about this as, as a church, as they're trying to make a decision, what is foremost in Peter's mind is what does God say? And as the leaders are getting there, they're asking this question, what does God say? Peter, explain yourself. We're looking for the hand of God here. In a church, that's the same, guys, isn't it? That when we come together, we are going to come across things sometimes that are tricky, challenging, sometimes counterculture to even our church, counterculture to the people around us. And one of the things we have to ask ourselves continually, not what do I think, not what, what I feel is good, not what is comfortable, but the question we have to ask ourselves is what does God think? What is God doing? As we go into the elder uh, process now, uh, which by the way, we, our, our deacons have uh, brought together some names that you have recommended and we've talked to those names and, and they are in the process of praying them, praying about that. We will begin training and at some point in the future, uh, there will be a presentation and an affirmation, uh, a vote of affirmation down the road. But one of the things that an elders must do is they get together and ask, not what do I think, what do I feel is comfortable, what do we sense God is doing? That's the question we ask. That's what they're asking. So Peter, just notice how he's telling the story, sharing how God is at work in this accounting. He says, well, you know, I learned my lesson here. And, and the scriptures uh, of the vision simply said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And then he says in verse 11, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. I was realizing the Holy Spirit was telling me something, and he wasn't making any partiality about this. Uh, and so I was just following along. In the verse 12, I have these six brothers. They're with me. They're, they went with them from Caesarea, and they went back to Jerusalem so they can give an account with Peter uh, to the Jerusalem church what was going on. And so they say the same thing. And then verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. The beginning, what is he talking about? 
It's talking about Acts 2. When they began as a church and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, how did the Holy Spirit come upon them? Well, we know that there is the, the fire. There is the wind. Both of those are symbolic of God's holy presence in the Old Testament where normally the fire would have been, you're about to die. Now the fire is in them, on them. The Spirit of God is in them. And then the speaking of tongues is talked about in Acts 2 where they began speaking in a language that others uh, that were gathered together in Jerusalem could understand. And so it was a real language that God gifted them with at that time. And so wouldn't you know it if that doesn't happen right there? These Gentiles start getting the Spirit of God's presence and they start speaking in tongues. How do they know that? Because the Hebrews can understand what they're saying. So it's kind of the reverse of Acts 2. Uh, The Gentiles are now speaking in a way that the Hebrews can understand. uh, The Jews can understand. Now, let me just speak to this uh, for just a little bit. Uh, This this speaking in tongues. Uh, What's going on here? Well, first of all, where did tongues begin? Genesis chapter 11. Remember the story of Genesis 11, Tower of Babel? Up to that point, everybody was one, but then they start getting proud and they build a huge tower so that their name would be great. They unify uh, around making their name great. And God says, if we allow this to continue, then nothing, there will be nothing that they will not achieve. And the problem of it was not the unity. The problem was that the unity was revolved around making their name great. It was a unity of pride. Look what we can do. We are humans. And there's nothing that we can't do. And so there, the Bible says in Genesis 11, tongues were given to confuse them. And from that point, they spread out. And that's the way it is today, still, right? Uh, So, Genesis 12, God picks out Abraham. All right, I have a vision one day that all the nations, all the languages are going to praise and worship me. They will unite one day, not for their name's sake, but they're going to unite under God's name. And so he works through Abraham and he says to Abraham, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. All right, so that's the story from the Old Testament all the way from Abraham to the New Testament is the recounting of God's narrowing down his promised one who all the nations would be blessed through him. That's Jesus. Why is there a genealogy in the book of Matthew? To show that he is of the seed of David, who is of the seed of Abraham. And so it is putting together the whole Bible, working toward this end. And so now Jesus comes and he says, after dying on the cross and before ascending, he says, wait, wait until the other comforter comes The Spirit will come upon you, then you shall receive power and be witnesses to me. That's the Holy Spirit, Acts 2. And what happens? First thing that happens when the Spirit of God comes, they speak in tongues. Why? Because God's ideal from the beginning, His dream, His vision, His kingdom, is all nations, all languages, worshiping God. So the very first thing the Spirit of God does in the believer's life is allow them to communicate so that all nations can hear. All right, so now why do the Gentiles uh, speak in tongues? First of all, let me just continue the thought of what God's doing. You go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 tells the story of how every tongue, every tribe, every nation will one day worship in praise of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And that is the picture of God's ideal. Everything in history is working to that conclusion. In between the 
ascension of Jesus and Jesus coming back for Revelation 5 is this church thing. You know what we are as a church? We are a foretaste of God's kingdom. We are to be a sign of things to come. And so it was necessary for the Spirit of God to blow open cultural barriers, race barriers, so that the church could be what the kingdom of heaven will be, a foretaste of all nations coming together. So the book of Acts is not just the story of many people coming to be followers of Christ, but primarily it's the story of many nations, many language groups coming and starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the outline for the book of Acts that is still being written today because it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So it is key that the gospel goes to other languages, other people groups, all right? And that has special implications when we're a place like this, where there are other nations that are right here. For the church to follow God's direction, it must follow his dream and what the Spirit is doing and engaging different people groups. And I would say not just ethnically, socioeconomic, and age. Age can be as much of a people group and a cultural barrier than, it, than some of the other things. And so the church is to be a picture of that. So, why this speaking of tongues? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about this. So let's, let's talk about speaking tongues for just a little bit, all right? In verse 19, 1 Corinthians 14, he says this, Nevertheless in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he's quoting a prophet from Isaiah, and he says, this speaking in tongues action, it's a sign. It's meant to communicate something to the unbelieving Jew. To the unbelieving Jew. So in Isaiah chapter 28, here's what Paul is quoting from. You following with me so far? I'm getting a little deep, all right? Speaking tongues, we've got Acts 2, Acts 10 and 11. We've got 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says it's about a sign to the unbelievers, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9 through 16. To whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from their breasts? For his precept upon precept, line upon line, here little, there little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, This is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you said... We've made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we've made lies our refuge. 
and in falsehood we've taken shelter. What he's saying is, this speaking of tongue is a message to unbelieving Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and the God of power has come, speaking just as he prophesied in Isaiah that this would happen, that all nations would come in, not just the Jews. So that being said, speaking tongues has special significance. It's not just an emotional ecstasy. We do not incorporate public worship speaking in tongues because of 1 Corinthians 14 and as well as theologically what it means. Some of you might have ecstatic utterances as you're praying and that can be your personal worship to God. That's part of, I can't, my words fell, my words fell and let it be that. But because of 1 Corinthians 14, we don't encompass this. And every time you see this in the book of Acts, it's done with Jews present. Look at it and see. Every time you see where there's some other kind of later uh, giving of the Holy Spirit with the speaking of tongues, it's done as a sign to the Jews that they can understand. These people are also just like us in worship of God. All right? Now that's the little side, not really the point of this. All right? Point of this is what Peter says. As you read in verse 16, and I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What is God's way? Peter's saying God's way was the inclusion of nations into his church, into his kingdom. And I think maybe the question Peter's asking rhetorically is asking to us also, are you standing in the way of nations coming in to worship through Jesus Christ? Remember the Jew, it was a holiness thing. I shared with you a number of years ago a story, or I could relate to this a little bit. I, I had to go and pick up a pizza. Uh, it was uh, one of these places you call and you go and pick it up. And I went in, and, and they said, oh, well, the pizza's not yet ready. Why don't you wait here? And I looked at here. Here was a bar, standing there at the bar. <laughs> I'm just kind of sitting there, and a pastor at a bar is kind of an uncomfortable thing. Um, and so the wait was long and they got the order wrong and so and so just i tell you what since you're having to wait so long would you like a drink <laughs> I, was like, I was like well maybe ginger ale be good <laughs> they give you this glass you know at the bar i have my hat on i just put it in real low and <laughs> looking around it's like what do i do you know I, I, I was looking very carefully Make sure there's no one that I knew. <laughs> Isn't Clayton? Little, you know. So I walked out of there and I was kind of like a sigh of relief. I think I got away. No one saw me there. I didn't have to explain why I'm sitting at a bar and with a drink. It wasn't alcoholic, right? Uh, but here's the thing: as I I came to my mind as I was driving back, 
that week, I had just kind of made a conscious decision that I wanted to be praying for people as I go. You know what happened? I didn't pray one time for anybody there. My mind wasn't there. My mind was being absorbed with whether or not the watching world viewed me as holy or unholy. And I couldn't love the people there because I was consumed with making sure I had a veil of holiness. You see what's going on with Peter here and with the Jews at the time? God had told them, first thing, love God. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. He, Jesus even gave the Samaritan story to help them understand you're to love the people, but they were so caught up in making sure they were presented as holy, they couldn't love anybody. As a church, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in our cultural way of worship and fail at the most important thing of loving God and loving people. A dangerous road to go down is to love our method of worship more than loving people. So what does that mean for a church? Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There are certain preferences I have when it comes to singing. When it comes to worship and style, there are some things I'm just more comfortable in. And listen, everyone is the same in that. Everyone has a sweet spot of worship, of comfort. And we're not trying to get one ethnicity to to worship a certain way because we think that this method is the best way. That is wrong. And we're repeating the same mistakes. All right? Next week, Lord willing, I will be uh, in... On my way to India, uh, in Nepal, leading in a pastor's conference, and they will worship there, and they will have a loud drum. Loud drum, maybe two or three. And they'll have a flute going on, or some kind of wind instrument, I'm not entirely sure what it is. Um, They'll have tambourines, and they will be loud. And they might even jump up and down as they sing and i kind of like it for a season (laughs) all right i enjoy it for a season and there are some places you go where jumping up and down is the norm in worship and it is a way of saying god we praise you you know you think this was exuberant you know, jumping up and down. There are all different styles. And some, some people, they don't want to say anything and they're writing down and they're thinking through and they're very cerebral in it. That also is part of worship. And there's different ways of worship. But here's one of the things we've got to understand, that there is no right way of worship. One of the things that you find is that in the Psalms is the only book of worship, of, of how to worship, and is devoid of a lot of instructions. We have a basic, here's the truth, now take it and let it live out in your culture and how you worship. So one of the things that we've got to be very careful of is to understand that it's, we don't worship the method. We worship the God who is over all these methods. One of the things that this also tells us, when we see that God is in the way of integrating people, is that if a church is in a multicultural context, the church is most faithful to the Holy Spirit 
when they also embrace multicultural people. Not just racially, socioeconomically, age, that there is a way that we can worship God. It is undermining the effect of the gospel when we say that there is a black church, there is a white church, there is a young church, there is an old people's church. It is undermining the gospel. And so what should the church do? The church should say, let's not embrace being an old church. Let's not embrace being a white church. Let's not embrace being a black church. And let's not embrace being a young church. Let's just embrace, embrace the gospel and let that be the dominant, dominant identifying. So what I'm calling us all to do is to say, let's not view ourselves as white. Let's not just view ourselves as black. Yes, we are that. But above all things, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Now, how does that affect us? Well, the thing is, white is still the majority culture, or majority race. They say by 2020, there will be no more majority people group in America. So don't rest white person in the majority culture. It, it will change perhaps in your lifetime. What does the gospel mean for us? the majority culture. We do not, we must not, we cannot see ourselves superior because of our race. That's one of the things that we tend to do. We don't have the money or we don't have the power, we don't have, but I've got my skin color. Let me be proud of that. And so the sense of I'm better than everyone because of the skin I've got. The gospel totally erodes that, doesn't it? The thing is, if you're going to be in Christ, you're going to be in church, you've got to go back to that first thing of, I'm unworthy. It doesn't matter what skin color I am. The Jews had to say, I'm unworthy. No matter the fact that I'm a Jew, I have to be in Christ. Now, how does the gospel impact the minority groups? The thing about minority groups is there's this tendency of insecurity because there's a sense that the majority is out to get you. And sometimes they are. But if we feel that way we start seeing everything that way if i every once in a while i'll be out in the ocean and uh, to be honest i have seen jaws i have seen shark week um and every once in a while when i get out there i start thinking there is a shark underneath me i can't see it and so every little ripple I get a little jumpy, and when I see a bunch of small fish jumping, I'm like, the, the small fish are jumping because there's a big fish underneath there. And I start, after a while, I just go in. I was like, I can't deal with this. It's just every little ripple. All right, so what, what's going on? There's this insecurity. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, and now I see everything that way. And so everything becomes a shark. The insecurity that can be found in our in our society because we are a race to say everything is out against it you know what the gospel does the gospel says to you you don't have to be insecure there is love in christ you are accepted you are embraced because of who you are in christ though the world may say things and and be very mean and cruel against you gospel comes in and says there is a life here the gospel is an incredible evening ground no matter what your race And that's what the Jews are realizing. 
And they're finding, and they're asking this question, who could stand in God's way? And I would just want to caution us that if we, as a church, say that something is wrong because of the style of worship, we are setting ourselves for failure in a multicultural world. Now let me just bring out this other truth. We don't worship multiculturalism. That is not what drives us. If multicultural and unity drives us, we lose it. We absolutely, we cannot be always talking about, let's make sure we're unified. Let's make sure that everybody's embraced. If we start doing that, we compromise who Christ is. You see, unity is a side effect. Jesus prayed for it in John 17, that those who would come after these, that would believe this message, that they would be one just as God the Father and God the Son is one. That's talking about, that's unity. That is absolutely unity. Psalm 133 is a a passage I was reading uh, this past week. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, and on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. This was the anointing oil as a priest. It is like the dew of Hermon, which is a very high mountain in the area, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. These two illustrations of oil coming down, dew coming down from a mountain, both of these illustrations have the same action. Something's coming down. Unity is coming down. Unity must come from God. With the Holy Spirit, Ephesians tells us we maintain the unity of the Spirit. We don't build the unity of the Spirit. We focus on, is the Holy Spirit in control? Is He in charge? The unity comes as a side effect. In Colossians chapter 3, he talks about what it is to be in Christ. And he says, when you are in Christ, then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called as one body and be thankful. What's the idea? The Spirit of God is going to come in and act as an umpire. That's the idea of the word rule. It will act as an umpire to call a foul, a foul in your heart and mind. When we have a thought that is uh, seeing ourselves as inferior or superior and looking down on someone else, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, that's wrong. And because we're in Christ, we say we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which indeed we're called as one body and be thankful. There are some extremely practical and difficult conclusions that come from this thought that God is moving and working in a way where all nations are coming to him. One very practical conclusion is that as a church faithful to the Spirit of God, we go to all nations. We go to all nations, which is why we have church members that live in East Asia and in the Middle East. It's why we have trips going. Some of you are saying that you'd like to go to Haiti uh, when we go. Some of you are wanting to go to Puga County. That's why we adopted them, that we understand that. But listen, just as we might go there, we go to where the nations are coming here. Hodge Road has one of the greatest uh, English as second language populations of schools in, in Wake County. I praise God. Did you see that in the bulletin? The little note of a family uh, just thanking. Read, read the bulletin. It's good. <laughs> right, Melissa? <laughs> uh, there's some things in there. One of the things is, is a family just thanking the church for how we help them and a school official thanking us as a church for how we help them. And that was done for the Benevolence Committee uh, and their, their work that 
uh, you guys have given toward that. Why is that important? Because we want to go where the nations are right here, and they are right here. They're all around us. So when we go at Churchill, and we go uh, to Princeton Manor, when we go to um, Langston Ridge, when we go to Cheswick, when we go to Planters Walk, we, there are people from all nations. Churchill has some of the most diverse areas. They're, they're Hispanic, there are Karen people group, there are Burmese, there are Egyptians, uh, all of whom I've met at different times. And who knows who else lives in that area. We have to go there. But not just the ethnic, but what is in our church that might keep the young people away from worship? How we worship matters. It matters. Not just in the content, but why we do what we do. Is it out of loving God and loving people? Let that be the directive. How are we loving God and loving people and how we worship? Are we loving the elderly in our community? Are we loving the younger in our community? And is there a way in the Spirit to do both? And yes, yes, there is to do both. Another practical conclusion that we may need to look at someday in our future, as this is a diverse neighborhood, not only does the church reflect that diversity, but does the leadership of this church reflect that same ethnic diversity? Something we must look at and pray about and ask God to direct us in that. So a few practical things for us as we consider this together. What does it mean that God is opening the door to the Gentiles and to all nations? One last conclusion. Why don't we thank God? Why don't we thank God that he did open the door to all nations? fact of the matter is the Africans were receiving this more than the Italians. They did, though, eventually. And it did eventually get to Rome and Spain and Britain, Gaul, until somebody shared with you the gospel. You are a byproduct of the fact that God sees you as totally unworthy. And that's why you are worthy. He said, there's Jared, and he's royally messing up. And he's got problems in his heart, and his mind, his thinks, thoughts, his attitudes toward me and toward others. But I can save him through Jesus Christ. Let's break down the barriers so that you could receive the gospel as your Savior. To no longer have to invent devices and strategies to find worth in your life. That's what most people are doing the rest of their life is venting strategies and, stro- and toiling so they can feel worth. And God is saying, I'll give it to you, what you're striving for through Jesus Christ. You want to join in with what the Holy Spirit is doing? Will you surrender your methods so that you can exalt your God? Can you do that? There's some reasons you may not be able to. But everything is possible with God. 
doesn't mean we're going down heresy. doesn't mean that we're changing what we believe. It means simply we are embracing what we believe. And we embrace the core of what we believe more than just the peripheral. Does that make sense? Some of you, let's pray.